Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war In the face of a cancer diagnosis, it's not uncommon for patients to experience psychological paralysis. In such challenging times, many individuals tend to implicitly trust and follow their doctor's advice, which typically revolves around the limited standard of care protocols involving chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. However, it's important to consider science-based non-conventional cancer therapies that have shown promising results in treating this devastating disease. These therapies often serve as a beacon of hope for those seeking a more holistic approach for their healing journey. One key advantage of alternative treatments is that they often focus on addressing the root cause of the cancer rather than solely targeting the disease itself. This approach recognizes the interconnectedness between mind, body, and spirit, acknowledging that true healing involves nurturing all aspects of our being. Alternative treatments can also help alleviate some of the side effects associated with more conventional treatments. For instance, acupuncture has been shown to reduce chemotherapy-induced nausea and fatigue while promoting relaxation and overall wellness. Herbal remedies may also provide supportive benefits by boosting immune function or reducing inflammation in the body. Exploring these alternative treatment options empowers individuals facing a cancer diagnosis to take an active role in their healing journey. By embracing holistic approaches and incorporating natural therapies into their care regimen, patients can potentially enhance their well-being both physically and emotionally. Today I'll be talking with Megan Smith about her new feature documentary, A New Standard of Care, Alternative Cancer Therapies, which investigates non-conventional cancer treatments used worldwide. As we investigate these non-conventional options, we continue to strive for improved outcomes in cancer care one that honors the power of integrative medicine. You're listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share your own experiences with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can now submit those to us by sending them directly to nurses at americaoutloud.com. We will be featuring your questions and comments every Tuesday on a special Q&A episode with the nurses. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you're able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. Megan Smith holds an MS in biology with a thesis in molecular genetics and currently works as a documentary filmmaker and freelance investigative journalist in the areas of science and health. In 2016, Smith founded Waymark Productions, LLC, a company dedicated to bettering the lives of those with health afflictions. Prior to that, she worked consecutive decades as a screenwriter, a Capitol Hill lobbyist for renewable energy, and a stage performer and recording artist. Smith was the first to report the inaccuracy of Lyme disease testing for the Washington Post and the government's gross underreporting of this epidemic for her local paper. She also wrote, produced, and directed her first documentary, 
Boobs, The War on Women's Breast, which garnered international film festival awards. Starting October 2020, Smith's feature film by the same name was distributed by Los Angeles-based Cinema Libre Studio. The film looks into different breast cancer screening tests for women. She's also produced and directed her second film, A New Standard of Care, Alternative Cancer Therapies, which investigates the area of non-conventional cancer therapies. The film is dedicated to her late husband, who passed of cancer in 2009. Megan, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Kimberly. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you. Um, I was connected with you uh, from my good friend, Kevin Tuttle, uh, over at Spirit PR. And he sends me the best guests, I will say. So I have very high hopes that we're going to have an incredible conversation today. Fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're just releasing this film. Uh, it's, you have a very thought-provoking documentary coming out, The New Standard of Care. Um, can you share with our listeners kind of what inspired you to, to delve into such a controversial and important topic? In 2007, I was diagnosed with late Lyme disease and they told me I was incurable and I was going to be in high dose IV antibiotics the rest of my life. And I said, no, I'm not going to be, I'm going to find something else. <laughs> so I, I tripped um, into the Rife machine, R-I-F-E, an electric medicine machine. And at the same time, a friend of mine had a squamous cell carcinoma on his leg. And together we went down this journey and we both cured ourselves of two incurable, basically, diseases using this machine. And so I became a big proponent of alternatives and I watched Ty Bollinger's wonderful series on a truth about cancer. And um, two years later, my husband contracted cancer and he used the Rife machine on himself. And three days later, his his wheezing and his from his lung cancer went away and I said, why don't we go down this road before you do conventional? Because at that point he was stage four. And he said, I can't, I can't do this, Megan. I don't understand this machine, even though you've explained it to me. I really have to follow the white coat. And so he followed the white coat. And after two rounds of five chemos, a cocktail of five chemos, one was a platinum base, which is very toxic. Um, he basically passed away. He only had he only lived about four months after his diagnosis. So um I just, I was upset about that, obviously. And I said, I've got to do something to try and help change this, you know, steer this boat in a different direction. So I grabbed a cameraman six years later, after thinking about this for a long time. And um, I was already an investigative journalist. I have a master's in science and I was a screenwriter. And so I felt like everything kind of came together. I also lobbied Congress for 12 years. So I said, I think this was my calling, I guess you could say. And we went on the road all over the EU, Mexico and the US. And um, I boiled down about 200 hours of film into what I felt were the top clinics. I mean, there's a lot of great clinics, but these were the ones I thought were really capable of actually curing people. Um, and I put those together along with the patients that they gave me like stage four cancers that they had turned around. I thought it was a very powerful story. I put it together. And as you know, a lot of these medical films are being taken off of platforms. So I have released it on YouTube for YouTube for free. And I'm, it hasn't been taken down yet. I'm <laughs> and, yeah. And I decided to put everything in there because it was never going to show in a theater. So it's four and a half hours long and people are breaking it into two sittings, but I'm getting really good reviews. People that are uh, otherwise only interested in conventional medicine are saying, wow, Megan, you've really 
convince me there's another another road to go down if I if this ever happens to me or my loved ones. So um, I, that's what that was my bottom line of doing this was to leave people with hope instead of fear of cancer. And I and I love that because you know as you mentioned and with your husband. Um, he he had to follow the white coat. I think even those of us who know better, as we mentioned in the, the beginning, there's that psychological paralysis and that fear that is so ingrained in us because we are so conditioned to, to believe that the white coat is, you know, that that's the way to go for everything. Um, that even when we start to know better, when we have that, that um, diagnosis for ourselves or for our loved ones, it's, it's it hits a little differently, right? And I think a lot of us, you know, still have that um, feeling like we 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 have to go to a hospital or we have to follow these conventional treatments. So it, it's really difficult uphill battle and changing that mindset because we are very conditioned. Yeah, and I I think with Lyme disease, that's when I started to see the real underbelly of medicine. And I realized people were telling me, you don't have light, you don't have Lyme disease. It's all in your head. You've got fibromyalgia. I mean, for a year and a half, they told me this. I kept going, it's Lyme disease. My dogs have Lyme disease. <laughs> it does exist in Virginia. It's rampant. And they wouldn't give me the doxycycline. So that's when I, I said, you know, I can't rely on medicine anymore. So um, I just wanted a different path to go if I ever got a chronic disease of, you know, lots of us are getting chronic diseases now. And they're all, you know, cancer and any chronic disease is an inflammatory process. So these holistic doctors, uh, the non-conventional ones, really look at how to get that inflammation down and what gave you this chronic disease in the first place? What, where was your, what was your stress level? What was your psyche? They look at everything. Yeah. And I really think that's that's the way to go. They know about nutrition. They know about detoxing. Oncologists don't talk about that with their patients because they haven't been trained that way. They just give them chemotherapy, radiation, and maybe surgery. So I, th I just think this is a healthier way to go, and it's got a better success rate if it's done correctly. Absolutely. I, I agree. And I was a very allopathically trained nurse. I've been in healthcare for 27 years and I was very allopathically trained. COVID really opened my eyes to so many, so many different things. And I've just been on this, you know, um, trying to completely change my mindset as a nurse because I knew when I, when I came out of COVID, uh, I knew that I was going to have to learn how to nurse from a completely different perspective. Um, but we're we're not taught things about nutrition in nursing school. We're not uh, we're not taught any root cause. So I was trained. I ended up being trained in functional medicine, and um, it it's really been eye opening to me to see we can actually make a difference. The most depressing part of being a nurse to me was even pre COVID was that we would uh, see these patients coming into the ICU, and they were so ill with things we weren't really getting to the root cause of, we were just managing their symptoms. And it was all very easily preventable and reversible with lifestyle modifications, but that wasn't happening. Right, I've heard that story before. COVID was an eye opener for a lot of people. And I think it's actually had kind of a backlash, um, you know, them pushing the vaccines like they they were, and now the medicine's turning around. and the some of the fibs they were telling us are now coming out in the open and i think i think it, they've done more damage to themselves as uh, a whole than <laughs> they were expecting i think they thought it was going to go the other way and everyone was going to embrace this new mrna you know technology into the future and i don't i don't i think if anything it's backlashed 
Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, that was, if there's a silver lining to COVID in these last three years, it's that like, big pharma and these just captured government agencies have finally overplayed their hand. And so many of us have woken up as a result of that. So I don't really think it went as planned for them, but it's it's been a beautiful thing to see so many people waking up and looking at things from a different perspective. And, you know, I, I started remnant nursing, uh, as, you know, as a way to kind of get people out of this sick care system because like i said i've been in it for 30 years nearly and i i know it does nothing to keep anybody well i i've known that for years so i think it's a it's a great opportunity for for nurses and even doctors who are so indoctrinated and conditioned to to know you know that there are there are better options available and we can really help people if we dig a little bit deeper i agree with you um, just real quick about my film, too, um, for those listening. I put it together a way to really help the patient. The first act is about what we're doing today in the standard of care for cancer, which is, you know, surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. The second act is about the alternative cancer treatments and the the clinics and then patient stories and then the third act is about why they're not being used, because that was one question I kept getting from all of my friends and families. Megan, come on. If there was really a cure for cancer first, we'd be using it. Why wouldn't we be using it? And so I finally went, you know, I don't think anybody's going to believe this whole story until they know why they're not being used. And I I do a deep dive on this one, this part of it. And I think I think it'll be a real eye opener. I know it is to my friends, like I said, that were conventional believers and now they're going gosh i think you've convinced me that there's another world out there absolutely you know i mean your film does explore all of these non-conventional the clinics the therapies and and doctors who challenge this current standard of care um so i'm you know hopeful that it will impact that conversation around cancer treatment and that we can start to open more eyes um, but in your in your research for the documentary, what were some of the most kind of surprising or eye opening discoveries that you made about the, about the alternative cancer therapies? I think well, I had an aha moment. There, there's a couple of things that could be called a silver bullet if everything works, you know, in the right way. That, that Dr. Brzezinski out of Houston has a um, he's a brilliant researcher and medical doctor. He's from Poland. Um, and he has put together a process called anti-neoplastins. It's an IV that he uh, gives people. Um, it doesn't work on everybody, but he does genetic testing. It's really a sophisticated process he has. And then he has a backup plan if that doesn't work for people. But that the, the anti-neoplastins are a silver bullet for some people. And some, I mean, brain cancers. I have a woman in my film, her brain cancer just melted away. And uh, that she, every time he goes, you know, the FDA has been after him for years. Um, medical board, Texas Medical Board has been after him and they cannot they can't take away his medical license. They haven't been able to put him in jail <laughs> um, because he's curing people. And he gets 20 to 30 patients behind him saying I had brain cancer, glioblastoma, one of the deadliest brain cancers, you know, when I was six years old and here I am 30 years old. And the medical boards are going, we can't put this guy in jail. He's curing cancer, you know? Um, so his, his process and then Dr. Nick Gonzalez, the late great Dr. Gonzalez, his protocol is pretty close to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. A silver bullet. He uses um, pan pancreatic enzymes, 
but you have to detox the body because it's a and it's a, it's a hard it's a hard protocol because there's a lot of pills but and you have to detox the body which is usually in the form of a coffee enemas <laughs> and um so some people aren't up for that protocol because it's it's not I don't know. User friendly might be the word. It's, it's difficult. <laughs> Not that far, um, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I did. I did find there were a lot of similarities to the clinics that were out there. Like they all used pretty much across the board high V, um, high dose vitamin C IV, and that was kind of a and nutrition. They talked to to, to their patients about nutrition and detoxing detoxing the body because when the cancer cancer cells die, they're very toxic to the body. So you have to get those toxins out because it's just going to be wiping out your liver and your kidneys. And um, they, you know, stress that they go on. Like I said, they go into the psyche. What stress were you under? Get the stress out of your life. Um, Laetrile or B17 is being used down mostly in Mexico now because they've outlawed it pretty much in the, in um, the United States. Um no sugar. They talk and part of the nutrition thing is stop eating processed sugar. That goes right to the cancer. If you have an excess sugar load in your bloodstream, you're just feeding the cancer. And that's been proven. That was proven like back in the 1930s. And uh, they know this because they do the PET, the PET scan, and they give they give the patient a sugar-based um, radio radioisotope and they they put it in sugar because they know it's going to go right to the cancer cell that's how you <laughs> and and the radioisotope follows it so that right there is evidence that sugar feeds cancer even though they deny it and i you know we could postulate why they deny this um dentistry is a big one a lot of them look at the dentistry uh apparently root canals this is fascinating i think root canals can harbor um bacterium that on these Chinese meridians, you can detect where, if the cancer, a lot of times they'll have like a breast cancer and the right breast cancer, and they'll go up to the tooth, what they call the breast tooth, and they'll pull that tooth or whatever, and um, or get the disease out of there, and the breast cancer will go away. And I've heard that many times. Wow. And a doctor over in Germany told me, he said 95% of his breast cancer patients had a had a bad tooth affiliated with their breast cancers. I mean, gosh. So I, I'm taking care of my teeth a lot better now <laughs> because of this. <laughs> yeah, so many, so many, of, uh, so much of our oral health is related to systemic disease, and I think a lot of people just don't uh, understand that connection. But once you do, you you do start paying better attention to that oral health for sure. Yeah, home, homeopathy is also. Uh, there's that could be considered a silver bullet over in India. There's a um, the Banerjee protocols, which were invented by a son and father uh, medical team, yeah. put together these homeopathies that were reversing cancers. And the U.S. was going to was set to study it. And then the trial fell through. I'm excuse me. I have to call. OK, I'm back. Um, so. Anyway, so that was one of the promising things at National Cancer Institute when I spoke with them. They said there were three things they were looking at. One was the homeopathy over in India. Again, that trial fell through. I'm not sure why they didn't bring the homeopathy over here and study it here. Why did it have to be over in India? Um, that just, I thought that was a weak excuse. Um, macrobiotic diet and um, IPT, which is insulin poten potentiation therapy which is a low dose chemo. It basically is a way to 
direct the chemotherapy to the cancer cells. So you only have to use as low as 5% of the original chemotherapy. So you're killing the cancer and not the patient, right. not the rest of the cells in the body, which is what happened to my husband. Right. And it makes a lot more sense. And NCI, National Cancer Institute, knew about this. They were studying it. They said it was of interest. And then they stopped studying it because they said um, it was chemotherapy. Therefore, it didn't belong under the... Um, auspices of alternative medicine, which is where NCI was studying it, set to study it. And I said, why didn't you just move it, you know, over into another department so you could study it? They don't want to use less chemo because chemo and vaccines are where medicine makes their money. Exactly. So I, I tell this whole story in my film and it's just to hear NCI on film talk about this is just watch him wiggle. Um <laughs> And some things he just didn't know about. So I think those are the things that those are my big takeaways, I think, in the alternative area. You know, I think, you know, as we, we look at all of the advancements in science and medical technology to think that with all of that, that we haven't found a cure for cancer to me is very telling. Um, they don't want to find a cure for cancer because uh, it's it's all very financially driven. Um the the healthcare system, or I as I refer to it as the sick care system, it's all about profits. It's been profits over patients for as long as I've been uh, been around here, um, which is really sad to me because there's a better way, and I think that it's so important. And I'm so grateful for for people like yourself that are really putting this information out there for the public. But um, how do you kind of you know navigate that fine line between you're presenting these alternative cancer therapies? you know, and ensuring that these viewers are well-informed, um, but that you know that they're going to come at you talking about that you're making unfounded claims or that you're giving people false hope. I'm sure you receive a lot of kind of resistance like that. How do you deal with that? Well, I'm just starting out promoting this, so I have not run into that yet. I did have one strange comment from a, <clears throat> a viewer, but um, it wasn't anything substantive. I, I put in this film, I put all of the medical literature in it. I, I should talk about this a little bit more. I, I try and make the film entertaining because we're talking about cancer and that's, you know, not a real happy subject. But I, I tell my my husband's story, which of, is of interest to people, is kind of this growth arc that goes through a whole, the whole way through the film. And then I my friend, my good friend who came down with cancer and then breast cancer and then, gosh, what was it 15 years later 18 years later she it it came back and she i kept trying to talk her into doing alternatives because when a cancer comes back it's vicious it's it's mutated into this monster and she wouldn't listen to me she thought i was full of it <laughs> and so she followed the white coat she even went into an immunotherapy trial so i follow her god bless her she let me film her and she, her we, her story goes through the whole film also um, so, and then a lot of these alternative doctors are, they're just funny. I mean, they're, they're outside the box thinkers and they have good sense of humors. So there's a lot, I, I put as much humor as I could into the film so that, you know, because this stuff is, it's a lot of science, it's a lot of science coming at you. And I think we have to laugh whenever we can, because I think laughter is good for you. And, um, all my friends who I think would be pretty blatant about <laughs> their, their critiques, um, they said they really liked it. They said it really carried, you know, just carried them through the film. It just, it, it, the time went by fast. So that's a good sign um, that I did my job, which was um, difficult, <laughs> but my, I had a great editor, um, Eric Marola, who was um, 
known for the Dr. Brzezinski films. He's a director in his own right. And he he just was marvelous helping me put this thing together. <laughs> right. And I, it's so important, again, that we get the information out there to people who are seeking it and maybe even others who just don't even realize that this is an option because again it's it's so we're so ingrained and conditioned to believe that it's you know it's the chemotherapy the radiation and the surgery and that's it but so many people that they're aware that there are these other options out there but they're they're really stuck within this system because if you think about insurance isn't going to pay for these alternative therapies they'll pay for if they pay for it at all they'll pay for those standard protocols and many people just don't have the financial means to seek out these alternative therapies. So they, they're really trapped in this system with, with nowhere to go. Do you have any advice for those people? Well, so, some of the therapies are less expensive than other ones. And, you know, Chris Wark, you probably know him, Chris Beat Cancer. Um, he reversed his, I think he was a stage 3C. They did surgery all through his body and just said, you know, good luck, you know, we'll give you chemo, but you're not going to make it basically. So he reversed his, he changed his lifestyle and he, he chained himself to a juicing machine and literally reversed his cancer. It never came back. He's still healthy. And I don't know, this has got to be 20 years, I bet now. And you can do it on your own, but I mean, you have to, you have to want to get over cancer. That's one thing I want to stresses. You can't just go to a doctor and put your arm out and say, just cure me. You, you have to want to. It's it's a spiritual journey. Everyone I know that's cured their cancer, reversed it, gone into long-term remission, if not cured it, has been a spiritual person. It's a, it, Maybe they didn't start out that way, but they ended up that way. They said it was an amazing journey. Even if they didn't make it, it was still an, you know, a journey of a lifetime. And um, I did find that one commonality that that's the other thing I was going to say is that was one of the cornerstones, like the vitamin C and all these other things that were kind of cornerstones. I found I called them throughout these clinics. One of them was the spirituality of the provider, but also of the patient. And that's really important to get your psyche in order. You got to want to you want to fight it and you want to have your psyche get your support group with you and just go after it. Don't give up and just fight it all you can. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's again, it's so important that we are putting that information out there um, for, for them. Because again, so, so many people are just, are so stuck. And I, but I think it's really important that people start understanding, like you said, you can't just put your arm out and say, cure me. You've got to become an active participant in your healthcare journey. You have to, you have to take the lead almost. I really hate when I see doctors and nurses, um, kind of, you know, gaslighting and bullying patients that maybe have done their own research and bring that in to their appointments. And, and you know, you just, you see them kind of dismissed and, and um, scoffed at for daring to be a participant in their own health. And I, I really hate to see that. It's, it's so important that you do your own independent research and that you're able to discuss these things with your medical providers. Um, we are coming up on a break, but I definitely I want to dig so into um, some of these, you know, specific cancer therapies that you talk about in your film when we come back. Okay, great. America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, or Alexa, twenty-four-seven. Great talk radio. 
All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. Don't forget to check out our online store at americaoutloud.shop where you can find all of the products that we represent on our network at a discounted rate, including ASEA Redox, which I can personally speak to seeing fantastic results with, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. Use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your purchase. We'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time and this is Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Out loud. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them, from improving immune health and supporting gut health to reducing the appearance of wrinkles and even improving mind, mood, and energy. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Many voices, one freedom, united in the First Amendment. Our goal is to herald the voice of genuine liberty at AmericaOutloud.news. A place where you'll find the naked truth expressed with a patriotic heart. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.news your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. If you're just joining us, I've been talking with documentary filmmaker Megan Smith. Let's jump right back in. Megan, thanks again for being here today. Thank you, Nurse Kimberly. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin loves to call me Nurse Kimberly. He's like, I think it's funny that you call yourself Nurse Kimberly. I'm like, I don't know. That's what they call me. So we're going with it. <laughs> but he, he loves to make funny. But I have names I call him too. So it's all good. <laughs> uh, but so we, we, in the first half of the show, you know, we talked a, lo- a lot about your reasons for making uh, this film. And, you know, I, I really want to impart on our, uh, to our listeners 
the the stark contrast between that traditional method and the alternative method. So tell me a little, we talked a little bit on the on the break about um, your first meeting with an oncologist. And I'd love for you to share that story with our listeners. So uh, right before we went into the first meeting with my oncologist, it was my husband and I and some another family member. I had talked to them about, a friend of mine had said, did you hear about this New York Times article that said that doctors are getting kickback for chemotherapy? And I said, no. So I didn't have a chance to read the article, but I brought it up to Proctor and this other person, and they said, there's no way that's true. <laughs> it turned out it is true. And um, so we went into this, what's going on just real quickly, um, the Medicare was allowing doctors to act as middlemen for chemotherapy so they could buy buy the chemotherapies at wholesale, low, lower prices, and then add whatever percentage they wanted to profit and then charge the insurance companies or the patient a re- retail price that was way far above the wholesale. So they called it kickbacks. And this went on for a while until finally Medicare reduced that to a 6% cap. But in the meantime, these doctors were making millions of dollars off of this kickback scheme. And oncologists were the highest paid um, branch of medicine back in the 80s when this was going on. So anyway, we walked in. I didn't know that at the time. I just knew there was this kickback thing. And the other person in the room at the end of the meeting, she, she asked the doctor, she said, what's this about kickbacks? You guys, these kickbacks you guys are getting from chemotherapy. And he looked at us, got up, closed the door, came back, sat down and said, this is what's going on. Sometimes I have to give a patient three chemotherapies instead of two, or I will lose money and go out of business. Wow. Yeah. And our jaws were on the ground. And so I said, Proctor, is this really the doctor you want to go to? (laughs) You know, he said, this is the one that was recommended by my doctor, my GP that I just love. And you know, it was his journey at this point. It was like, I just, I kind of, I had fought him all I could and I just went, okay, it's your decision. So anyway, um, what I found out later, so six, for six years, I sat there and went, nobody's talking about this over chemoing people. What is going on? Right. So that's when I grabbed my cameraman. That was another part of this puzzle. And so I finally did some research and Alex Berenson, you might know him. He was a New York Times reporter that's now, he quit the Times and now he's um, out doing podcasts and all kinds of stuff. And um, he had written, uh, one of his articles said um, that, yeah, they got rid of these kickbacks, but the doctors had to make up that excess, the the salaries, that their, their salaries decreased, right? Because their kickbacks went away. So they had to figure out something else. And so some of them started to do extra treatments. He didn't say what the extra treatments were, but that may have been an editorial thing where they just said, you can't put in that they're getting giving too much chemo. <laughs> you know, I don't know what happened, but he didn't say that out loud. And I haven't talked to him to to clarify, but my guess is that this was one of the things they were doing is giving too much chemo and it's probably still going on. That's the sad part. Right. Yeah. I have, I have no doubt. It, it's like, we don't want to believe it's, it's kind of like when I worked in uh, the ICU during COVID and the things that I was seeing my patients being harmed. And oftentimes I, I mean, I, I feel like they were systematically murdered for profit in the hospitals. Um, but so many people, it's so evil, right? That they don't think they, they can almost can't believe it. And I yeah, think that's the this case is, I, I just can't imagine that this in a court of law, 
I mean, I know the standard care has a lot of wiggle rooms, um, especially for chemotherapy. They have different protocols they can do, different books they can look into. But I still think that to give a patient excess when it, when you should be doing the minimum would be considered, I don't know what they would call it. I mean, some people might call it, you know, uh, murder. <laughs> I right. don't know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but I, I just was appalled. And when I talked to the American, I also interviewed the American Cancer Society in this film. And um, he was a medical oncologist, Otis Brawley. He was very forthcoming. He did. I really appreciated him. Um, he's, But he did, when I asked him about this story, he said, you know, it's an unfortunate situation. And basically paraphrasing, he said something like, a lot of times these doctors don't have ethics. You know, there's doctors out there that just don't have ethics. And I was like, this goes beyond ethics. This is this is way beyond ethics. So he didn't I think he knew it was going on, but he didn't he didn't address it head on. And no, I have yet to found, find any oncologist that will address it head on. They don't want this story to come out. Right. And then, you know, we talked a little bit in the intro about so this is not your first film. You had another film that you did um, uh, regarding breast cancer screenings. Right. So I was making this film originally, and then I realized 10 minutes of my 90 minute film were on, was on breast cancer screening and mammograms. I said, you know what, I'm going to spin this out in a 30, 30 minute short, put it out in film festivals and see what happens. Well, I picked up a distributor, Cinema Libre, uh, who did the Vax movie. And um, then I had to change it into a 90 minute film. So I got sidetracked <laughs> in a big way. So this project took me eight years because I got sidetracked onto this other film plus the pandemic. And uh, what I found, the deeper I dug into mammograms, the more horrified I was. They're telling it, it's a lot more radiation than they're letting on. They're saying it's the same as flying across the U.S. And that's just flat wrong. It's um, they're talking about scattered dose instead of absorbed dose, which is two different things. And uh, the radiologists don't even know this. They're the ones saying that it's the same as flying across the U.S. And it's not. It can be up to 20 times that amount. And if you get a 3D mammogram, you should know that unless that wherever you're going to get the 3D, if they don't have a certain software, they're giving you the 2D and the 3D. So you're getting twice the amount of radiation right there. Then here's here's the conundrum. We've all been told we have dense breasts. I think almost every woman has been told that. The yeah. dense breast tissue is made up of epithelial cells. That's the most radiation sensitive tissue in the body. So they're radiating a tissue that's already radiation sensitive. And then they have to crank up the radiation. You don't know this, but this is what they're doing without telling us. When they see they have a dense, dense um, breast, they're, they're back there behind the leaded screen and they're cranking up the radiation so they can try and see underneath the dense tissue. So they're radiating even more. We, we shouldn't be getting radiated at all if we have a lot of dense tissue in our breasts, but they're cranking it up. And then they wonder why women with extremely dense breast tissue are, are six to eight times more susceptible to breast cancers. And I would theorize that maybe it's because they're increasing the radiation load to those women. And we're not being told this. So we're not, we don't have informed consent. And they're also squishing our breasts, which can induce cancer. It's called trauma-induced cancer. There's some talk in the literature about that as well. 
So these are kind of the, the point about the epithelial, epithelial cells. I did not put in the film because I didn't know it at the time. I was, I was, I'm also writing a book on, it's called Boobs, the, the War on Women's Breasts. I'm writing a book about it also. And I found that for my research. So the more research I do on mammograms, the more horrified I am. Yes. Terrible. You know, I will say I haven't had, um, personally, I haven't had a mammogram now in the last three years. Um, several reasons, you know, I mean, I, well, I, I walked away from my job. I don't have health insurance anymore. That's one. But number two is, is I, I become increasingly more horrified the more that I learn and the more that I hear. So for somebody like me, they tell me, oh, I have, you know, um, a dense breast tissue, which again is very common, uh, commonly said to these women. Um, I don't, and I probably, I probably should do this more, but I don't do um, self breast exams very often because I just have this dense tissue, and I always think I feel something, but it's usually nothing. So I always would, you know, just wait for for the doctor to do the exam or to do my mammogram. Well, I haven't had one in three years. So what kind of options are there? If, uh, you know, there's ultrasound, of course, and then there's um, thermography. Can you touch a little bit on that for the alternatives and what some of the pros and cons might be for those? Right. So I did. Um, yeah, I didn't want to leave women hanging with this horrific story about mammograms with no other alternative. Um, so when I was talking to doctors, a couple of doctors in California, they said, uh, you should be doing ultrasound alongside thermography because ultrasound is also a test of anatomy, which picks up a tumor like a mammogram does, um, but it can see through dense breast tissue, which is really important. And then a thermogram is looking at heat or inflammation, which can actually be a precursor to a cancer, which that's why I like thermograms so much. If I was just going to get one thing, it'd be a thermogram. Because I actually, and I'm a, I actually put myself in that film also, which I didn't want to do, but I did because the doctor, I, I was using myself as a guinea pig and he said, well, you have some, some inflammation in your left breast and we're not sure if it's cancer. And I went, what? And so he said, but that's okay. Here's how you, here's how you turn it around. And he, he told me how to change my lifestyle, which I did. I got off, I was on three medications. I switched those out for supplements. I lost 20 pounds. I exercise, I ate organic. And then a year later, my thermogram was normal. So that's what's so great about the thermogram is you can see the precursor to cancer. So you can change your lifestyle. It's a warning signal. And the, I just love it. Ultrasound is a is ju a, just in case you have cancer in both breasts or something bizarre, but the thermogram, make sure you get a good thermographer in my film, Boobs. You can find it at boobsdoc.com. In the film, I'll, I'll direct you to a website where you can find a, a good thermographer because there's a lot of thermographers out there that just go out and buy a $500 camera that don't know what they're doing because it's not regulated by the FDA. So just be careful who you're going to. Make sure they have equipment that's worth at least $20,000 for right. one thing. Right. Yeah. And so what what are the, so obviously insurance doesn't cover these, correct? No. Um Ultrasound, if you're lucky, if you have a good doctor who knows how to write around the prescription of mammograms, I've heard this happening every so often. I don't know what they're doing, how they're doing it. But basically, medicine marches you down the road if you have to get the mammogram first yeah. and then you have to get the ultrasound. You can't just get the ultrasound. I mean, what does that tell you? What does that tell you? I mean, ultrasound is what my research was basically ultrasound is just as good as the thermogram. 
So um, they're, they just want to, they want to pay off these machines. They now have these 3D machines that are expensive and they, they are marching us down. They're all upset because during COVID, nobody's getting their mammogram. <laughs> so they're on a, you know, war path of trying to make up that money. So just beware. And I, I don't know what to tell you. The, you can get ultrasound out of pocket, but it's going to cost you a couple hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. But talk to your doctor and say, look, I have dense breasts. I don't want the radiation. Can you figure out how to get the ultrasound instead of the mammogram? Yeah. And, you know, I like to tell people all the time, sometimes, you know, you do have to pay a little bit of out of pocket, but you have to prioritize your health because like you're going to pay for it a little bit up front with um, some money or you're going to pay for it in disease and despair later on if you don't, if you don't make your health a priority. Um, and, you know, sometimes I feel like people just... It's, it's all about changing the mindset. Look at what we spend probably monthly on things like streaming services. You just have to make it a priority. And people are so conditioned to think that if the insurance doesn't cover it, that they they simply couldn't afford it. And I know we're all in kind of um, dire straits these days, it feels like. Uh, we're not in the best of economic times. But again, it's all about prioritizing your health because you are going to pay for it on the back end if you don't. So I think it's important to, you know, to, um, try to find a way it's in even uh, thermography isn't I, I don't think it's that expensive in the grand scheme of things can you get it for like maybe a few hundred dollars yeah you should be able to find somebody around um that can it, it would cost about that much and i agree with you you have to prioritize if you don't have your health you don't have anything so exactly you know we have our health until we don't and when we don't it's usually a long road back to um to recovery and it, it's just so much that's why i, I really want to focus so much on um, prevention and preventing these diseases versus just you know managing and then you know being behind the eight ball and trying to because listen we are so, we're being poisoned every day and from every different direction Right. I mean, it's almost impossible to to um, to to escape the just the toxic environment that we live in, you know, whether it be the water that we drink, the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, they're coming at us from every direction. So it's so important to be able to be eating as clean as you possibly can and and doing these things, uh, supplementing appropriately um, in order to to stay well, because, again, once you once you lose your health, what do you have? Right. It's a constant struggle to stay well. I mean, I'm, I take so many supplements every day just to try and keep detoxing and buy that, you know, non-GMO food. And like you say, water, air, everything is important. It all adds up. And the woman who does my thermogram, she said, we don't see a normal thermogram anymore. We don't see them down in the the ones, the twos. We see everybody at a three, you know, and four is the, you know, you're, you're going to get cancer if you keep down this road. Three, three is not good either. But that's what they're seeing now because of the toxicity load we have. Yeah, it's really, it's really sad. And you really have to make actual lifestyle changes. And it's hard, like you said, it's hard to maintain these, these, but I mean, it's so worth it in the end, but it's very expensive, unfortunately. Um, And we're also conditioned to taking the easy road, the more convenient road, instead of taking that road less traveled, it's really going to lead to a higher quality and better life for all of us. So I, I can't um, stress that enough that, you know, we just need to learn to prioritize. And I think that's something I'm going to be focusing on um, providing education for people, trying just to break that conditioning. Yeah, it, so- it sounds easy until you get into the side effects. Like I have a friend that was diagnosed with stage three throat cancer, and he was just on the edge of talking to Mexico and going down there. And then his wife said, no, gosh, that's like 
that's a lot of money. It was like 25,000. I think I, you know, and I said, sure, if you go down the road, what the road you're going to go down, it could be a lot more than that. Plus the side effects are so terrible. And sure enough, he went down and now he's got a feeding tube and he's had all this radiation. He's probably going to get scar mm -hmm. tissue and he's really suffering. And, you know, it sounds easy until it's not easy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's, you've got to get, you got to learn how to prioritize your health and um, look at the bigger picture. Because right. people, people are just, they're not, they get tunnel vision and, you know, we're, we're just, it's a barrage of propaganda from, you know, everything on the, on the TV is a pharmaceutical, you know, a, a cure and a, a, you know, easy fix for everything. And that's, it's, it's not that way. You've got to become an active participant. You've got to do your own research into uh, things that can actually help you basically my new my new thing is if the tv is telling me to do it i'm doing the opposite so right <laughs> that that's my new mantra but um but so what are some of the key takeaways though from your documentary that you believe every listener should be aware of when it comes to their own health and well-being what is what do you hope they take away from your film well, one thing I, I didn't mention is, um, and this is an easy takeaway, um, cancer loves sugar and it hates oxygen. So all of these alternative cancer therapies, are uh, most of them are geared to how do we get more oxygen into the cell? Um, the other thing is the alternative doctors, uh, this was a um, medical oncologist who explained this to me that had turned into a gone conventional into alternatives. He said, they're looking, they're not curing cancer because they're looking in the wrong place. They're looking at the D DNA with by cytotoxic um, chemotherapy versus what they're doing with alternatives is looking at the mitochondria because it's a, the, something is malfunctioned with the mitochondria because the toxicity load or stress or whatever. And so what they do to turn that around is try and get the, the mitochondria, which is where all the metabolic cycles um, are basically contained. They try and get the straighten out the mitochondria. So they do it by increasing oxygen, decreasing sugar, and then a whole bunch of other things. But that's kind of the fundamental of all that. And, you know, overall, I just wanted to, the takeaway is to have, if you want hope, I mean, I, I feel empowered by knowing this stuff because I'm not afraid of cancer. I used to be terrorized by thinking about it. I think we all are because we've seen the treatments, right? But I wanted to leave people with hope instead of fear. And, you know, I have my cancer plan. <laughs> if I got a certain cancer, I go here. If I had another kind, I go to the other place. And um, that's one of the things I just wanted people to know that there, you don't, it has, it doesn't have to be an, an end, end of life experience. It can be a journey, a spiritual journey that will actually lead to happier times. So Absolutely. And I think that's a big part of the problem, too, is that, you know, they have everybody in such poor health to begin with. So that yeah. when they do, you know, get that cancer diagnosis, a lot of them, they'll, they'll maybe try the chemo. and the, But a lot of them are just resigning to the fact that, well, this is it. And I got cancer and, you know, this is it and, and making it, you know, an end of life um, situation when it doesn't need to be. There are treatments available and things that are working. And very, people are just so, again, resigned to um thinking that we have to live with this type of chronic illness and these types of disease when there's a better way, there's a better way. And we just really need to start focusing on that. Um, but, you know, in your opinion, do you think the resistance from big pharma and governments when it comes to embracing these alternative cancer therapies, 
Do you think that we'll ever overcome that resistance or do you think it's just time to just completely break away and and um, go to go to the other side? Because I for me personally, I don't think there's any hope of, of them um, no longer wanting to line their pockets to help and do something um, that will actually cure people. I, I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. What are your thoughts? Do you think it's just time to break away from that traditional conventional system entirely? Yeah, I mean, I would love to think that our government was looking into these things, but all they do is research it and try and figure out if they can patent it, you know, because it's a revolving door between the government and pharma. They're one and the same. And unfortunately, you know, the fact that NCI was looking at those three, you know, the homeopathy and IPT and macrobiotic diet, and then they did nothing. They did nothing once they found out that those were the three that they thought really had, they were reversing cancers. They did nothing. They went nowhere. I mean, what does that tell you? That tells me everything, <laughs> everything yeah. I need to know. So, yeah, I've gotten a little, little cynical um, on this on this trip. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't. That's why I, I only go to doctors that are naturopathic or whatever, holistic, um, whatever you want to call them, functional. Um, because I just don't conventional medicine. I just, I'm in awe. Every time I go to conventional doctor, their advice is just terrible. I'm, I've given up on convention. They're good at um, uh, emergency yeah. medicine and some surgeries. That's it. Yeah, like That's what yeah. If you break a bone or, you know, in trauma situations, I mean, I, I definitely feel like it, Western medicine has its place, but I, like you, I'm so disillusioned with, you know, really COVID again, opened my, my eyes. I have multiple autoimmune conditions. So when uh, they wanted me, all, all of my doctors told me that I should get the shot. I went to them seeking medical exemption because I had autoimmune conditions and they refused. And they said, oh, that, that means you should get it. That's all the right. Money for you to get it. I was like, you people are insane. <laughs> you people are insane. And I fired every one of my doctors. And, you know, had I listened to them, I probably wouldn't be here right now. Right. I, no, I have an autoimmune disease. And I think it was given to me by a flu vaccine I had. I think mine was happy. Yeah, I think mine was happy. And I think so many, I really feel like we're all vaccine uh, injured on some level. And so many yeah. of us just never connected the dots, you know, because we're so conditioned to believe that we, um, that chronic disease is just a part of life, but something causes it, right? Whether, and I don't think it's all vaccines uh, necessarily, but right. I think vaccines is um, can definitely contributing, but I think that it's also the toxicity from, again, the food and the air and just our completely toxic environment. But I didn't come into the fight anti-vax by any means, but I'll tell you, I'm leaving that way. I would never take, I would never give, receive, um, or encourage another vaccine as long as I live. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I was not anti-vax, but after COVID, mm -hmm. I, I will never get vaccinated. If somebody else wants to, that's their business. But, um, I mean, I have, I, all kinds of people in my orbit are vaccine injured. I, it happened two to three weeks after the first, first or second COVID vaccine. I mean, there's, there's a thing called cause and effect, and it happened that often. I mean, one of my friends was paralyzed for 48 hours. Another one has a pacemaker. He was totally normal before that. I could go on and on. I have all kinds of friends in stage four cancer right now. I mean, my gosh, yeah. what's going I mean, on? Countless, <laughs> countless stories that I was seeing. We were seeing them, uh, you know, at the bedside early on after the vaccine rollout, you know, including the paralysis, the cardiac issues, the strokes and GI bleeds and, you know, just 
populations you would not expect to see them in just otherwise healthy individuals before all this and then they're you know all of the autoimmune conditions and people are just uh, a lot sicker than they've ever been and it's because we're destroying immune systems unfortunately um and, people- and doctors aren't talking out enough the emergency no. doctors i know the er doc saw it because when i talked to them about it they all look guilty as heck and they get angry. I'm like, why are you getting angry? I'm just questioning if this could have been the vaccine. Yeah, you they know? get very mad. <laughs> yeah, they know. They know. They, they know and they like it's either the cognitive dissonance or they just like the ego um, uh, will never allow them to admit they were wrong. I, I have all the respect in the world for Pete, for those doctors that are doing a mea culpa and there's only there's very, very few of them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's really time. I can understand, you know, when in the very beginning and fear is a huge proponent, but we have got to mitigate the damage now that's been done and not enough are speaking out to your point. So mm-hmm. well, I can't believe we're out of time already, which I'm going to have to have you back because we, we covered a lot of great things. But <laughs> just tell us real quickly where we where we can find your films. So my second film on alternative cancer therapies is a new standard of care.com, a new standard of care.com. That'll take you to my website and the YouTube link is there because it, if the link goes down, then I'll put it up on a different platform. And so you can always find it there. Um, and then my other one is at boobs, B-O-O-B-S doc, D-O-C dot com, boobs doc.com. You can find that there. And then I also have a blog called blogonboobs.com. And that has all the information on mammograms and thermograms and ultrasound. And there's an archive there you can go and research. So there you go. All right. Well, we'll make sure to include all of that information in the show notes for our listeners. Megan Smith, thank you so much for being here. And again, we'll have you back. Thank you, Nurse Kimberly. (laughs) Absolutely. That's all the time that we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. You can also catch the Encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton, and you can find me here every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Remember that we are in a war for truth. We are putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. No topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time